what's up everyone welcome to another episode of the tier one podcast this week is part two from uh, alexis and if you've not listened to the part one obviously you'll need to go back to last week's episode and take a listen to that first or a lot of this won't make uh, as much sense so if you haven't checked it out already we've got a new website uh, if you go have a look there's some blog posts going up and all the podcast episodes are on there as well it's a bit nicer than the one we had last time as that was like a free one that Podbean give you the podcast host I use I've been having a few people hit me up asking more about how they actually run podcasts and stuff which is nice being able to give back and give some people advice and all that you should probably take my advice but <laughs> I'll give it for what it's worth um, this week we discussed more about jiu-jitsu and we continue on from where we left off which was where um, Alexis had just got to Korea and was started training more mixed martial arts when he got there and uh, again it's a really good episode uh, we recorded it uh, we'd planned to record it the day after but it, it was like more like a week or so uh, from memory I uh, hope you enjoy it Please leave us some feedback on Facebook or if you um, can head over to iTunes and leave us a review and it's really appreciated without any further ado here's Alexis all right, back into it. Hey. Part two of Alexis's <laughs> podcast. It's been a few days since we um, we did that last one, hasn't it? Yeah, I think it's been about a week and a half or something oh, yeah, like yeah. that. It's been a while, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. So if we end up recovering anything, uh, just bear with us because <laughs> memories might not be too too good. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah. Yeah, have you been having, what have you been up to this last week? You've been training last quite a bit. Training and uh, working. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is everything going well with your training? Yeah, I'd say so. I think I'm getting better, seeing some improvements. Yeah. Working on the darts these days. The darts, is it? Yeah. yeah. You've got quite long arms, eh? So you... Oh, really? You think? Oh, you think? longer than my arms. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> a five foot seven arm body. I arm. can never get the darts from that top side control position, top half guard position, you know? Right, I've, yeah. I've never finished that. I'm just getting it from other play, other um, like top side control bottom side control escape and the new one that i just seen um the, from the arm drag all right keenan but um yeah i haven't got that one yet cool but, yeah. okay yeah had, yeah had you um started bjj when you got to when you got to korea or? so i'd had some like brief exposure to jiu-jitsu just before i left for mm. korea yeah but i didn't really start to train jiu-jitsu probably until I don't know, maybe like midway through the second year in Korea. Okay. I was training, but I was doing like mm, MMA. So we were grappling, but I can't tell you that I was following a jiu-jitsu program. Right. I was kind of like just learning bits and bobs as I was going along. And I guess I was just in a bit of a funny, um, not a funny, but just like a strange mental state there. I wasn't really focused in terms of like, I wasn't trying to learn a martial art from scratch because I had done that and mm. I just wanted to, like, I wanted to fight at that point. So, okay. It was just probably yeah. not the right mindset. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So, yeah. And you, you weren't in the best, like, headspace when you, just before you flew out to Korea. No, definitely then, not. Yeah, terrible. Yeah, like, tell me what, like, mm -hmm. I've never been to Korea and it sounds like quite yeah. a foreign, foreign type place. What You step off the plane and yeah. tell me what the sights and sounds and experiences. And yeah, I remember stepping off the like, foolishly, I, I flew in a suit because I, um, I had a job. I was going out there for a job. Yeah. Bloody, I was teaching English in a private academy. <laughs> 
But I don't know, I wanted to make an impression, like, but the thing is we flew into Seoul and then had to take a connecting flight to another city where I was going to live, which is called Ulsan. And anyway, uh, the first, the first exposure was obviously the, um, the airport and, um, just the heat, just, mm. it, it was, it was August and it was, that's the middle of the summer there and it's very, very hot. And, um, I remember leaving the airport in this suit. I was the only idiot on the plane wearing a suit. <laughs> and um, yeah, just waiting outside in the heat for this bus to take me to the, to like, they have two airports in Seoul. Um, the international one is in Incheon and then you go to Gimpo, which is in Seoul proper. And you have to take like a limousine bus from the Incheon airport to the other one to fly locally. So I just remember waiting outside of um, Incheon airport in this, really intense heat in the suit just, yeah just sweating <laughs> through you know um but then i mean after that like the first day i mean if you haven't been to korea before and you've like lived in the west it's very different like you know like if you've been in the london underground um you'll see like advertisements in maybe like predominantly english but there might be nowadays like some you know, European languages there as well, or like translations. And you'll obviously see like people from all sorts of different backgrounds, but in Korea, you know, it's quite homogenous okay. in terms of like their population is largely predominantly Korean. Right. So, um, signs were all in Korean and nothing else. And at that time I didn't, I didn't speak a word of Korean. So it was almost like, just like being in, I may as well have been another planet, you know, that's how it was at first. Um, but I wasn't really like, I can't say that I really experienced culture shock. It was kind mm. of strange because, um, I remember like the second day being there, all of us like just already feeling like a million times better than I did like 40 hours before. So just, yeah, I was just feeling more hopeful and, um, it was just a like fresh start basically for me. Nobody knew me. And um, yeah, it was just like starting from the beginning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you think? Do you think the um, you didn't have the culture shock just because it was, because it was like that? It was like it was everything was for yours to like go and make make whatever you wanted out of it. Um, yeah, I think it was a mixture of two main reasons. One, I have experienced living in another country before. Right. With uh, Greece. Within Greece, yeah, yeah. and. Um, and two, I just hated London so much at that time. I just, I was just glad to be as far away from there as I could be. Mm. So I think it was for those two reasons. Right. Yeah. Well, did you, I guess even in like your whole time in Korea, did you find there's many differences between the Korean people and like English people? Uh, yeah, yeah, Values yeah. Values or like stuff yes, like that? Yes, you know? they're very different. They're quite different. Obviously, fundamentally they're similar, but like just culturally, cultures mm. fundamentally as human beings they're similar they want yeah. the same things right but just the the way they go about them the way they go about attaining those things is just a bit different in terms of like and that's just based on like cultural construct i guess just in terms of you know in korea um there's a very much big emphasis <clears throat> on like respect for your elders okay. you know which is very much in place there um and just this back to their confucian Confucian culture, you know, mm. just which sometimes, you know, and famously 
isn't always the best thing to do. Famously with like Korean Air going down because of that aspect of it. I don't know if you know anything about that. No. So, so essentially like, you know, like if you're even as much as like, I don't know, like within a year of my age, um, I have to like, <clears throat> my address to you will be formal. Like I'm, I'm expected to speak formally to you, but you can speak however you want to me, you know? Like you are effectively, okay, if, right. you, if you're to, older than yeah. me, you, you're effectively my superior and I have to, oh, um, right. I'm expected to, uh, what's the word? Like just essentially like you have authority. Right. Um, so like, you know, like it's bad. It's, it's good mm. in, in ways in terms of like you respecting your elders and whatnot, but it's bad because some of those elders are total idiots. And we shouldn't defer authority to idiots just because they happen to be chronologically older right. to you, right? Yeah, older yeah. than you. And so, like, where this most famously was disastrous for them was a Korean Air flight. Korean Air um, flight. I don't know the number, but basically, the plane was flying too close to the mountains. Like, it was too low. Um, the junior captain, or the I don't know what you'd call him, assistant captain or whatever, on the plane um, saw that on the radar, um, and tried to point it out to the senior captain but you can't tell him directly couldn't speak to him directly like listen we're going to hit a mountain we need to pull up right like they had to frame yeah. it in like um are we a little bit too close to the yeah. mountain and then the older would just say no you Not know without, without yeah. checking and just you know the plane crashed into the mountain and everybody died jesus so yeah so like you know I think that that Confucianism thing, it has its pros. Taking it too far. Though. Yeah, but it's, yeah. it's taken too far. And, you know, like where idiots are involved, like, you know, they say like respect your elders or, you know, I mean, coming from the West, I, I do feel like, you know, like I have a responsibility to take care of older people, like if they're physically infirm or whatever, but mm. just automatically deferring authority to somebody with no other like uh, merit other than their chronological age. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's totally illogical and I won't do it. Like, yeah. in my opinion, like, and, and another thing, like, you know, if if you behave disrespectfully, you can't expect me to respect you mm. regardless of your age. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And overall, how, how did you find teaching uh, English? What was that like going into a school, Korean school? Is it similar to schools in England? Or? Yeah, I had never taught in an English school, but uh, I had obviously been yeah, in a yeah. British school um, as a student. Uh, but um teach so i was in a um, i was in like a private academy okay so this is a kind of an academy where like the students they they go to it after they finish regular school so i don't know if you know anything about like about korean education system but well they have they have jointly with japan the highest child suicide rate or adolescent suicide rate in the world and that's Gee. down to their education like their emphasis on education huh. and so um like, i don't know like this is gonna be like taken as racist or whatever but just because something can be viewed by like liberals as racist doesn't mean it's mm. not accurate yeah so like essentially um maybe like you could argue that <clears throat> oriental people are not the best socially like mm. they don't necessarily like have the same kind of social awareness as a westerner does and like at least i can speak for like in terms of like my experience in korea it's down to the education system so essentially these students are not allowed to be children so much emphasis is placed on studying hard because essentially in korea your entire life will be determined 
Like your success or failure in life is determined by which university you get into. So all of your childhood leading up until those university entry exams is focused on, you know, grades and not on your social development. You know, right. your social development suffers yeah. um, as a result of that. And um, so they kind of get a little bit socially stunted because mm. these kids are literally studying from seven o'clock in the morning until midnight. Like I'll be on the, on the street going home from the gym or whatever. Maybe I, I would go to my friend had a bakery. So I love like a Korean guy and I would be at his bakery. Like, and we'd be, like, he'd be like shutting down the store. I'd be like, I was writing after the gym. And you know, like outside the window and coming into the street, you see school kids in their school uniform. They haven't been home. And it's like 10 to midnight. Oh, it's a common sight to right. see like young kids in school uniform at midnight on the roads, like mm. coming home. They're coming home from like these private academies basically. So, um, so what, to answer your question, what was it like to, um, to uh to teach them yeah um you know in all honesty um i didn't really enjoy teaching english sometimes i did but for the most part it was a chore like any other job i ever did i was i was listening to jordan peterson the other day do you know jordan peterson yeah, yeah, yeah. and he was talking about his belief that you know as a human being you know you're um for, for, for most of us career is not a primary like motivation yeah. although like society tries to funnel us all into having that as a motivation so i always thought something was wrong with me about you know because I, I didn't really enjoy any of my jobs and many of them were crap but some of them were good and i still didn't really you know maybe i took certain things for granted or whatnot because i had a good like so i started in the private academy ended up in a university and also ended up like having all sorts of like contracts like teaching um, adults at you know Hyundai they make the cars oh yeah yeah well they also make ships and um, roads and pretty much anything they make everything <laughs> um, so I, I would I got contracts teaching like their professional workers so these are more um, lucrative and there's less hassle with adults and less in a sense less hassle with like university students sometimes then like young kids because basically like these young kids right they've had a whole day at school they've come to your academy to study english which they don't want to do like they don't want to study so it's just like english. you know kids They're at home like, right yeah you're because not- po- po- you know like um one of the aspects of like um they're getting into the right university that will determine the job that they get and who they will marry and basically the outcome of their life, right? Mm. Is an EELTS. EELTS is like an international English language something, something. It's basically like a qualification of how well you speak English. So um, they have to study for that, right, separately. And, um, but essentially, you know, they just want to be children. They want to play. So... Just of normal kids. Yeah, because they want to be their children, right? Yeah, so, so like, it was kind of it could be quite difficult to like, you know, just maintain their attention. Like they want to play and I wanted to play with them. Right. I, I said to them, you know, like we can do whatever you want, but we have to speak, we have to do it in English. Okay. Cause another thing about in Korea is that they're very good at reading and writing in English, but if you have a conversation, they just, they can't do it. And it's basically because they don't really practice spoken English so much, at least it was at that time. Mm. So I really wanted to focus on their spoken English. Uh, but you know, you'd have like the manager of the uh, academy coming in, saying, you know, you're not using the book, you need to use the book. The book's total crap, total garbage. 
but the parents are paying for this book. So it's a private business and it's just... Okay. Yeah, so did I enjoy it? It was frustrating and kind of tedious. And, you, you know, like, not always, but much of the time. I mean, later on in the second year, so I was initially going to Korea for a year just to save some money and just take a break from the UK. And for some reason, I thought I was going to go back, you know. I don't know why. <laughs> but... um yeah, a year passed and I just hadn't saved as much as I thought I would. And uh, I had a couple of fights there as well. So you're going quite heavily into the martial arts and stuff then? I mean, yeah, I'd started like having um, bouts, you know, like amateur okay. fights. In, in MMA, was it at that point? Well, yeah, I had one MMA fight and uh, I actually got TKO'd in that fight from mm. a cup. And, um, and I kind of just, I took it very, 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 I take everything too personally, but I took that very, very personally because I should never have lost to that guy that I lost to. And it was all down to like my mental state. Okay. Again, it was within three months of arriving in Korea and all sorts of shit things were in my head. Right. Um, but so I lost to this guy who I should have never have lost to. Um, uh, what, what level? It's easy for me to say, yeah. amateur, amateur. Okay. It, was, uh, it was a sh Shuto fight, it was Shuto. Oh, yeah. 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 And, um, but yeah, the guy cut me with a nail. Oh. with an open-handed strike, you know, and um, he split my eye open. It was split, split this, you can mm. see the scar there, right? Yeah. And he also split my lip and that's how I realized it was a nail that must have just yeah. like cut and went down there. So anyway, uh, the first one was a right hook. He got me a right hook. He caught me clean with a right hook. And as I circled, he must have hurt his hand when he right hooked because the second one, it was a open-handed strike mm. and he cut me with his nail. But uh, anyway, um, he did rock me with the first punch, to be fair, but when I, once I, I just like, I was kind of rocked and I just kind of clinched up with him. I know we're just like deviating from education to fighting, but <laughs> I kind of, I clinched up with him and as as we were in the, I was just hanging on to him because I was a bit dazed. Yeah. But as I was holding him, I could just feel he wasn't really like, I was much, much stronger than him. Mm. At that point, I had pretty much zero grappling, but uh, my striking was bad. But anyway, ultimately the ref. As I was clinching him, I could feel the blood trickling and I was like, oh, you know, keep keep my face away from the ref because like if the ref sees, we're yeah. gonna stop it. But when we broke, the ref saw it and he stopped the fight and I was pissed because I wanted to fuck, I wanted to kill this guy because I knew he'd cut me. Right. So anyway, uh, yeah, so like I just started getting into like, after, so so, so basically after I took that loss, um, I just took it very personally and um, I didn't have a coach there who could speak English adequately to tell me, you know, it's, you know, not the end of the world, it's your mm. first fight and like to coach yeah. me on the mental aspects. And yeah. Where were you training? I was in a place called Ulsan, a city called Ulsan. And I was training at Ulsan Fight Gym under a guy called Park Won Shik. He's now in San Diego, he's still fighting. Oh, wow. He's actually an excellent fighter. He just, I, I don't know, at the higher levels, he just has always been kind of unlucky. Like, mm. uh, but, um, he fights in the Combat Day Americas promotion at the moment in in, in the USA. Um, yeah, so but his English was not the best, and he wasn't a coach. He was a fighter who had opened a gym, right, to just kind of like fund his own career. Yeah. Um, but you know, I made friends in that gym with a lot of young guys who now they've. All uh, apart from Parky, he he's in America, but the rest of them they've all got jujitsu black belts now. They oh. were all like blue belts at the time. One of them was a purple belt, and uh, we were in this basement, and uh, it was just uh, it was just a bit of a weird time. It was like because it was so obscure, 
at that time, MMA was still quite obscure in mo much of the world still, but definitely in Korea. What, what year was this? 2009. Okay, yeah. So it was still like kind of emerging. And in, in Korea, it was definitely like, un mm. like all but underground. Um, and so, uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so, so anyway, after that loss, I, I, didn't, I didn't fight MMA again. I went into boxing because I was like so pissed. I was like, uh, I need to work on my hands because I was like, my hands should be better than this. And there's something wrong when I put the glove on. So whatever, I mean, so, so I, I was boxing amateur and I was winning boxing. I was winning in boxing. So yeah, so second year, like, I've had a few boxing matches and I'm winning and um, yeah, and I just hadn't saved enough money. So I took another job in another one of these private academies. They call them Hogwans. Uh, but this hog one was a bit in the countryside and three months in, I was ready to quit and just come home to England. And I was really like, I was frustrated because I didn't want to go back to England because I knew it was shit. And <clears throat> sorry, I know you yeah. live there, but. No, yeah. what, what, um, what was it about this one that was um, worse? Was it just how rural it was compared to everything else? Or? Yeah, it was, it was that, but, and, and like the people, the kids, the students are more rural. You know, okay. Like. <laughs> And you know, like this one kid in particular, like he would really do my head in because he would come in and I understand he just wanted to play, but he was just like, just wild. He was just a wild, like he was a farmer's son. He was this little like, like dumpy kid, quite, quite, quite big boy. And he was just so, um, he was so, uh, what's the word? Um, you know, he was just interruptive. He was right. causing interruptions continuously. Yeah. He just wouldn't. And I tried to discipline him, push-ups, squats, all of that. <laughs> he didn't give it, didn't care. Like he did him. And, and, and as he's doing him, he's fucking making jokes across the classroom. I'm like, what are you doing? And eventually like, I got so fed up with him. I, I just, I, you know, I would say, at this time I was learning Korean as well. So I was starting okay. to, to speak to them in their language. Yeah. And I was telling him things like, you know, like, just tell your mum that you don't want to come. Save her money, save my time, mm. and let all these other people whose parents are paying money actually study here. Because right now you're just stopping everyone from studying. And I told the, the, the manager at the place, the owner of the place, I was like, look, maybe it might be worth like just not taking his money because mm. you're going to lose other students in the long run because nobody's learning. But obviously that's... You know, pe pe people in general, they just see the short-term gains, right? Yeah. So anyway, so he said, eh, 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 bottom line, bottom story, bot blah, blah, blah. long story cut short, one day I was, I was coming to work and um, I saw this guy at the traffic lights and he was selling chestnuts. You know, I have a little like uh, cart. Yeah. And when I went to the class and this kid started to interrupt me, essentially like I told him, you're going to be a chestnut man. <laughs> and like, he was mortified <laughs> and like, and everybody's laughing at him. And then I, and I felt terrible afterwards. Right? Oh, right. Cause, cause I was, cause I was insisting on it. I was like, no, you're definitely going to be a chestnut man. That's what you're going to be. You're going to be a, a chestnut, chestnut seller, man. chestnut seller. Okay. And, uh, and he was angry. He was furious. He was like, no, no, you know? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you're going to be, bro. Like, if you don't like change your attitude, start studying, you know? Yeah. And, but like, I, like later on that evening, like, I was reflecting on it because I was so annoyed with this kid. But at the same time, I was like, I was, I was like horrified of myself talking to him like that and placing that on him because obviously like, especially in Korea, like I said about them, like deferring authority to elders, they respect teachers in Korea, like big time. 
and like they'll take what teachers say seriously in Korea. Mm. Um, right, with the old yeah, thing, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so, like, so you you saying to him like you're gonna be a chestnut man? Like probably means a lot a lot more to him than it might first seem at, at face value. Yeah, and um, and like I, I I had become like in my mind I had become the teachers that I hated at school. Uh, like in yeah. sixth form I had a teacher right who's a physics teacher and um and I failed I failed physics and I got kicked out of the six months to go to college and start again uh, but basically we took these mock exams and um and uh the teacher in front of everyone he said like when he was giving out the results he said if I trained a monkey to draw circles because one of the exams was like a multiple choice he's like if I trained a monkey to to draw circles he said he would have got a higher score than Alexis. And he said that in like- In front of everyone, yeah. everyone was laughing. Anyway, this guy's some dickhead, right? Who he's got male, he's got adult acne, right? He doesn't get laid, he doesn't get girls, yeah. Nothing like that, right? I'll make more money than him now, for sure, <laughs> you know? But at the time, I was like, I was like, like it devastated me because, you know, like, especially like, I don't know, I'm just somebody who's most of my life taking things very personally. So. Mm. So like, I always remember that story and then like when I said this to this kid, right, and I saw his like his face drop the way it did, like I've never forgotten it. I feel bad to this day about it. And that day was when I realized that I'm not supposed to be in education. Cause like I think like with education, because my mum's a teacher. Oh yeah, maybe we, saying yeah. We, we've all had loads of shit teachers in our life, no doubt. And a lot of people go into education for the wrong reasons, I feel. Especially in the UK, you know, like in the UK, right? The public education system is so, um, the teachers have so much pressure on them. They're underpaid, they're overworked, the resources are cut, you know, like the class sizes are too big. Essentially, it's not far off being a slave, being a teacher, because like people think teachers' job stops at three o'clock, right? No, they go home and they work until they go to bed every day and they work at the weekends. My mum did it and my, my wife is a teacher, right? So, um, like I really feel like education is something that you shouldn't get into if that's not really what you love to do because right. you know because you know you're molding young people's minds right mm. and that day I realized that I have no business being a teacher like yeah. this is not my passion and this is not a job that you should enter just for a paycheck whatsoever you know so uh, yeah so that day always stuck with me man but yeah. did you did you ever tell your mum that story yeah what did she say did she have uh, any advice or anything uh, I stopped asking my mum for advice a lot. Yeah, I probably did mention just because I felt bad. Yeah, but um, but uh, yeah, to be honest with you, I didn't stop teaching at that point. <laughs> Mainly, largely because I didn't have a viable financial alternative. You know? mm. But it was at that time that I was about to quit that. And then, and then I was just about to quit and just go. I was in the midnight run. They call it a midnight run when you just like disappear overnight. And, um, but then that same week I went to the gym and an American guy who I was training with at the gym, he just told me about an interview he'd been offered for a job at the university, which was literally across the road from the gym, where the gym was. And he didn't want it. I was like, you're mental. Like, why wouldn't you want that? Three months vacation paid every year, you know, like reduced working hours. You're teaching basically young adults. You know, you don't have to deal with like, kids you know? yeah so i went for the interview i got the job and that's when life really changed in career for me because all of a sudden i got paid more i had a university gig with my own office <laughs> nice. um you know i was teaching all the students 
and then I was like interacting with, I was also teaching professors, not really teaching them. Well, I was kind of teaching them, but we were just having conversations and just brushing up their English. But we could have interesting conversations because they were older and they had traveled and, you know, we could actually have interesting conversations as opposed to the apple is green. Mm, right. Every, yeah, yeah. every day, bro, the apple is green. <laughs> Bob eats the apple. And then they repeat, that's, yeah. that's how they were teaching Korea. It was very much a rote learning system. So yeah, so like life changed like then and and I kind of started to relax a bit as well. And I was making friends and whatnot um, and learning the language as well. That was a big part of it because I was, you know, having a laugh with like people now. Okay, so you could like joke around and stuff. That's, that, that's yeah. a pretty good yeah. the language then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And. Um, and you know, like, and we were traveling within Korea. I was going to Japan for visits and stuff like that. Oh, nice! It was good. Yeah, life was great. You know, all of a sudden, and um, not that life was bad. When I was working the Hogwarts, mm. it was just I didn't like the job at the Hogwarts, and, and I think that when you just don't like your job, it affects a lot of your other life mm. outside of, of work because you know you have to go there tomorrow. It was mm. in the back of your mind. Um, so, uh, but then like, you know, a year into the teaching job in uh, the university, I was getting a bit complacent because you just get, you just adjust everything. I <laughs> feel like, you know, make more money, you just spend more money. Uh, you know, like you drive a BM, you drive a Yaris and then you buy a BMW. Oh, the BMW is nice, it's novel. And then you get used to driving a BMW, you want a Porsche. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? You always, <laughs> that's like part of humanity, right? That's part of being a human being, right? You always want the next thing, the yeah, next yeah. thing, right? Yeah, but um, I don't know if I'm answering your question. I'm just so what that. happened after, with the university? Like, uh, did you? How long did you stay there? Um, I stayed there for two years, and, and then uh, oh no no no, two and a half years I stayed. Yeah, yeah. and um, uh, and then I left Korea. I left okay. Korea for um, I went to Canada. I went to Montreal. Yeah, yeah. What uh, what prompted that? Uh, like I was saying, like I was doing amateur boxing matches. Uh, at this point now, I'm studying, I'm training jiu-jitsu as okay. well. Um, and, you know, I wanted to do MMA, or at least I thought I wanted to do MMA at that time. And, um, and, and I was turning 30 as well, and I was like, this is really my last chance to like, if I'm going to try and make a go of it, right? So I had watched something um, on, um, shit, man, I come Fight, fight world, or I can't remember what it was. It was basically like these like short documentaries, and they go to like different. Oh yeah, like uh, big gyms, and they like, was it like a vice type thing? Like yes, yeah, yeah. like a yeah. I think it might have been a vice yeah, thing. You know that fight world. I think it is yeah, fight world, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. And so basically, I watched this thing about TriStar. Okay, with Fraser Harvey's places. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, and um, this one guy who was on it, he was a really good talker on it, right? This Australian kid guy. And uh, he was just talking about, Faraz met him in Thailand and saw that he was a great Thai boxer and said to him, you should come to Montreal and he can make him into, you know, he can get into the UFC or whatnot. And this guy was just talking about how, when he first arrived, he was living in the, in the, in the, in the gear cupboard. He was living in like where they keep all the pads and stuff. Wow. That's where he was sleeping. Jeez. And anyway, so I just thought, you know what, yeah, I'm 30. Like, I don't want to be teaching. Like, it's a dead end job. Mm. It's a dead end job. You know, like I had kind of like I kind of like when you're teaching English as a foreign language. You know, like, I kind of done all you're gonna do in that. Like, I yeah, taught I mean, at university level. Yeah, 
you're not, you're not gonna get much higher. <laughs> yeah, and uh, unless, cause I was thinking about starting to like create materials, like publishing materials and stuff like that. Right. For teaching. Yeah. But you wonder really what I wanted to do, but I thought it could be quite lucrative. But yeah, I just got a bit disillusioned. I was also teaching like, like I said, like these Hyundai um, executives and doing a lot of like private tuition and stuff. It's just boring. It just wasn't what I wanted to do. So I just thought, you know what? I'm 30 and I still have physicality about me. So uh, let me just go and see what I can do with it. And um, and then I can do something that doesn't involve being physical later. You know what I'm saying? So, so I, I left, I left and uh, I went to Montreal and um, yeah. That's a big move, man. Like. Yeah. And that guy was a bit of a dickhead, that Australian guy in person. Oh, you, you ended up meeting him? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I met him the first day I went. Oh, wow. He was there in the gym. I was like, oh, hey, I saw you on the video. And I said to him, I said, you know, like, a big part of what made me come here was what you were talking about in the video. And um, and then he was like, oh, wow, go and tell Faraz right now. And I looked over, I was like, oh, he looks like he's coaching people. And they were like, he was with the pro team. And he was like, no, 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 he was insisting on it. He was like, no, no, go and tell him right now. Like, yeah, yeah. Ask him if he can train with him. Train with like the pros. I was like, bro, I don't even have a pro fight. He was like, no, no, just don't worry about it. Just go on, just go on. So like, this guy was so insistent that I went over. And uh, I was like, excuse me. Cause this guy was like basically watching me, right? But he was just setting me up, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and then Faraz was pissed. Cause I interrupted him and he was like, yeah. Cause they must have guys coming in and out all the time, right? And I was like, oh yeah, James just told me to come over and uh, see if I could train with the protein. <laughs> anyway, I don't know why I said that, yeah? And he was like, have you got a record? Have you got any pro fights? And I was like, no. And he was like, what would you want? I'm in the middle of training here, you know? And I was like, okay. He was like, come, come here tomorrow at 10 or whatever. Yeah. And he was because yeah, I think he was pissed. I think I just rubbed him the wrong way. So like for two months, he pretty much ignored me. Like didn't say more than five words to me. And, um, and then during that time, uh, we were training hard and whatnot. And um, I really saw the levels there as well. Right. You know, like I didn't feel the levels, but I saw them. Mm. You know, like Rory McDonald's walking around, you see them training and stuff. They're fucking, they're like, they're on the next, next, next level. You know, like they're fucking beasts. And, um, uh, did you have a job in Canada or was it just no, training? I was living on yeah. my savings. Okay. Yeah. Right. So I was just training. And uh, I, I did, I did take like some like bits and bobs here and there, like moving, moving like people's houses yeah. and stuff. Um, but nothing consistent. You know, I didn't have a work visa. Mm. Um, but like two months in, we were sparring one day and I just like didn't set it up correct. And I just shot him for a takedown. The guy was trying for a push kick, but I caught his knee in my nose and uh, basically like fractured the nose and split it open. And uh, that was me out for like five, six weeks. I uh, went to the hospital there and um, couldn't get seen. Oh, they, they, made, they made me sign like $500. They made me sign just to go into the like waiting room to wait to be seen. I had to sign something that said, I'm going to pay $500 just to come in. What? Yeah, yeah. What? Mental. And then I is went. Is it, is it, is it, a pri- it was a private hospital, public hospital? It was a Jewish hospital, but I was told to go there by people at the gym. They're like, this is a good hospital to go there. And okay. so, yeah, but they did not sort me out. Right. Yeah, I don't know if you can see the scar on my nose, but yeah, it's yeah. not had stitches. Right. Yeah. 
if you don't get stitched up within a certain period of time, you shouldn't get stitched up because it can be infected mm. and make it worse. So, but I waited in the hospital for six hours just to get like five or six stitches. I was like, fuck man, I should have just taught myself how to stitch myself up. Yeah. I just didn't get seen. I went home, pissed. I went home, I, went, I was living in a hostel. And uh, yeah, so like that was kind of a big setback because I was like six weeks, I couldn't really spar with anybody. You know, I had no job there. It's expensive to be in Montreal. Oh yeah, I'm sure. And um, yeah, that was kind of frustrating. Mm. And did you did you have many? Did you make many friends or anything? Or were you kind of just hanging by yourself? Or? Uh, I had some acquaintances that I would hang out with at the hostel. Right. Like we would hang out, yeah. do different things. Especially that month because I couldn't go to the gym. Like I was hanging out with them more. We took a trip to Toronto. I saw Niagara Falls and whatnot. Yeah. Um, in the gym, like you know, I got on with people. People liked me in general. Yeah, I would say. Do you have any more funny stories or anything about about, anything? about Montreal? About Montreal, TriStar, anything like that? I met George St. Pierre and I, I thought he was a bit of a dickhead. <laughs> really? Um, but again, I probably took what he said to me personally. What did he say? So, like, what happened was, like, um, you know, like I said to you, like, for us, pretty much, for the most part, ignored me for like a couple of months. And I think it was because of the start I had with him and this other guy. And, uh, but then, you know, like he saw that I was coming to training and eventually he approached me and was talking to me about like, you know, what's my plans and stuff like that. And this was after I got the knee kick. Um, and, uh, you know, he was trying to encourage me to go and live at the fighter dorms, but the fighter dorms, they cost a lot to stay there. And, you know, like by that point I realized I could get an apartment all to myself for less than I would pay at dorms. Oh, wow. So, huh. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, so like, so, so Faraz approaches me, I can't remember what I was doing, but he came from behind and wanted to talk to me about, you know, what's, what am I doing and blah, blah, blah. So like, I started talking to him and then obviously like my attention was focused on him hundred percent, right? We're just having a one-to-one. And then from behind me, Jules St. Pierre comes and like tap my shoulder and I turn around and it's Jules St. Pierre, right? And at that time he wasn't really training much in the gym. I'd seen him a few times in yeah. the gym, like literally twice. Um, the night that I arrived in Montreal, he fought Nick Diaz the same oh, wow. day. So, so it was after that fight, and I think he'd been taking some time off or whatever. But, but he was back in the gym, and then, and then yeah. So like he, he you know, we shook hands, we introduced you guys. Hi, I'm George, mm. and I just I said something like, oh hey, yeah, I know, I know, hey, <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> and then I was like, hi, I'm Alexis, and he was like, and he he heard the British accent, mm. and then he started making fun of my accent. Oh really? And it was literally the second thing. Like he literally said, hi, I'm George. I said, hi, I'm Alexis. And he started making fun of me. <laughs> and so I was kind of taken aback by it because first of all, like, I wasn't expecting to turn around and see George St. Pierre yeah, talking yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah. And then for him to directly <laughs> be taking a piss, I was a bit taken aback by it. And you know, and also like, and it's not his fault because he doesn't know me from Adam, right? But you know, I'd had issues with people my whole life pretty much talking about my accent. I remember you saying, yeah. Yeah, so like for him to say that to me, I was like, are you serious? Like this fucking guy of all the people is gonna take the piss out of my accent. I swear that when he was a kid, he used to get bullied. Mm. And now this guy, was he trying to, is this guy bullying me? Yeah. Like I can't really fight him though, right? <laughs> so I just went silent. I just, I heard what he said and I was like, oh, this guy's taking the mick out of my voice. Yeah. And then I just kind of, I kind of just froze. Like, I just went silent and then like, for us, noticed as well. It was kind of like an awkward moment because there was just three of us in like yeah. this little caged area, 
And then somebody just off here outside the cage asked about, he, he just said, asked something to, to for us. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, he just, he didn't come to break up. So okay. He just came to ask something for himself. Okay. But I knew the guy. So I guess I kind of took it as a distraction. I was like, oh, hey, have you seen Wally? I was looking for some guy I used to train with. Like, mm. Cause I just didn't want to talk to him anymore. I was like, fuck this guy. Like, you know, take yeah, piss yeah. At me. I don't have nothing to say to you, bro. So like, and plus, plus also to be honest with you, I felt kind of shunned. I felt kind of shunned, like, you know, like I had a good job where I came from, I was getting money, you know, my life was easy. And I came there and kind of got like shunned right. for like yeah. nearly three months. And then now you're talking to me, but then like all of a sudden, like I'm getting, he's taking directly out of me. Like after I just said, hello, my name is, you mm. know? So I just, I took it very personally, maybe too personally. Cause you know, like looking back on it, reflecting back, I'm sure he didn't have any ill will. He was just trying to break the ice and, and be friendly. But at the time, and he doesn't know my history, right? And you know, I probably shouldn't take things so personal, but I did. Cause you know, he came from like being kid, oh, you can't speak English to, oh, you, you, you you, like, you know, people growing up, they would always be like, oh, you sound black. You know, like, oh, oh do you think that you're black? Or like, they'll call me a wigger or whatever, you know? And um, so I'll chat, man. And then in Korea, in Korea, they would be like, can you speak like an American? And I'd be like, no, no, this is how I speak. I speak like this. <laughs> you speak like an American, Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah, 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 yeah. They don't have like any filter in terms of like, you know, like in uh, in England, there's a lot of social debates, like social taboos, like you can't say certain things, you will be frowned upon, right? But yeah. But in Korea, they don't have that. It's largely because they're largely homogenous. They don't have that history of mm. um, multiculturalism whatsoever. Right. Yeah. Like black people, they kind of don't have, I don't know, man. I think that they have a good time and I'm sure that they've, they've got much thicker skin because they've had like much worse racism, like, not much worse racism than, than, than like, I mean, much worse than me. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, back in their home countries, especially like Americans. Mm. So like, I'm sure they have a good time, but when they go to Korea, there's no sensitivity to like, you know, talking about color or race. Right. Like for example, there's like a video on YouTube that I saw of this like Ajuma, they call them Ajumas and it's like an older Korean lady. It's called an Ajuma. Okay. And, um, She's walking in the street and somebody dressed as like Iron Man, he's got an Iron Man suit on. He jumps out and tries to scare her and she doesn't give a shit. She's not phased <laughs> at all. She's like, oh. And then he takes the mask off and it's a black guy, yeah? And she's like, oh! oh my God. <laughs> she's terrified. Oh my God. And he's just like, fucking hell, man. Jesus, bro. You know oh, what I mean? Yes, yeah, so it's really like that in Korea. <laughs> um, but, 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 but how did we get onto that? Because you're talking about Montreal. Um, oh, man. Uh, just be, yeah, yeah, voice uh, accent. Oh yeah, that, man. Yeah. yeah. So like, I just, I just kind of walked away from him, and then, and he was like, he didn't really know what to say, because, and for us, they didn't really know what to say, because I was just walking away from them, and, uh, and it was obviously it was because I didn't like something that they said, right? And I think they were just a little bit shocked. It was not long after that I left, anyway. I, in fact, I'd already made the decision that I was leaving when he came to talk to me because it was just too expensive and as far as I was concerned I was kind of getting ignored like yeah. by you know like him and like I trained with a few of the pro guys that Australian guy he's a dick man uh, I trained with uh, Alex Garcia he was a cool guy 
And uh, I trained once with Mike Ricci. I don't know if you know these guys. Not so you, uh, They're both actually the guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They were cool, but I was never in pro training. I mean, I trained with those guys outside of the pro class. They were just like in regular training those days and yeah. partnered with me. Uh, and then I would train with like quite a lot of good, like really good amateurs. Like they were amateurs, really they were professional level, but they were just still, still fighting amateurs. amateurs. Yeah, yeah but, but yeah, and then, and, um, I don't know, I'd kind of given up on it because yeah, multiple reasons, like money, got kneed in the face and just was living yeah. in a hostel, kind of miserable there. Did, did you have a plan of what you wanted to do next or was it just like so you know like at the time i had a girlfriend who's now my wife okay who so i you... had left in korea right. oh right really so you go and do this okay, yeah right. but we weren't serious at the time right. not that serious and i was like do you know what like i'm not going to let like a girl um interfere with my plans because i was i regret it so i went i just left i just did my thing yeah uh but now we're married <laughs> and looking back on that the way you know, it's all just part of where I was mentally. You know, like it was kind of like leftovers from like where I had been mentally when I arrived in Korea. Just not, not, I didn't have any time for women really. Like, not whatsoever. Like, emotionally, I was kind of numb. Mm. Like, still to this day, to be honest with you, like, I don't know, it's like a bit of my passion died from like traumatic experiences yeah, as yeah. a younger man, you know? But, um, yeah, so like at the time I just I just left, man. Like I remember leaving, and she was not happy the day that I left for Montreal. But yeah, so but anyway, so basically the plan the plan in Montreal didn't come to fruition. It was a bit of a pipe dream, you know. Like I mean, you got guys there who that's all they've done, you know, like just fighting. It's kind of hard to catch up. Yeah. With that. Um, and just, just like their skill level was high, their physicality level was much higher. Mm. And just, you know, I was, and I was hurt. I got hurt and I was yeah. broke now. And I was like, fuck. Did you, so I left. did you lose any of your passion for martial arts though? No, I just realized that I wasn't going to compete in MMA at the highest level. Right. Like that just wasn't going to be. Mm. And um, I kind of came to terms with it. So I guess the next step was back to Korea, was it? Yeah, I went back to Korea and um, and I went back to Korea because um, Nicola was still, uh, sorry, much. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yes, Nicola's my wife. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not sure like whether to say certain names or not, you know. Um, yeah, so she was still finishing up her contract. She was at public school and, uh, and then we were traveling. We went traveling after that okay, cool. on our way back to England. Oh, so you're playing, you're planning? You're still planning to end up back in England by then, now. Um, so when I left for Canada, no. When I came back, I knew I didn't want to teach English anymore. Right. Uh, so I wanted to retrain. I wanted to find something else. I realized that I'm not going to fight. And I didn't want to teach English. So I knew that I needed to find something else. And I thought the best place to do that would be back in England, mm. where it's easy to go into like any kind of training program or, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and she wanted to go and retrain and become a, a proper teacher. We were both teaching English at that time. Yeah. Um, so we, we came back and, uh, whew, I'm telling you, I'm going back, going back once you've left is, is quite hard. Because, you know? um, again, like now as an adult, you experience living in an alternate reality. And you know that there are millions of people living a different life 
to what you've returned to. But the majority of people in your country where you've returned to have never lived outside of it. And you just kind of, um, not that you can't relate to them anymore, but you kind of, your, um, your, I don't know, horizons are kind of broadened a bit more and they can't see that and can't identify with that. So you can't really talk to them about it in a constructive way other than, oh yeah, oh that, that must be a cool experience. Now, people are just, you know, like they're just focused on, everyone's just focused on themselves, I know, but everywhere you are, but yeah, it was just, it was just tough, man, because, you know, I was going back to like lots of things that I didn't like and like living in London without money is not good. Mm, very bad. But- very bad. Yeah. Shit's existence. <laughs> and, you know, I had to move back in with my mum. And, you know, like, she was married, remarried, and I had never lived with her and her new partner. So I was living with him as well, and it was not the biggest houses. And, you know, I still had savings. Mm. Yeah, I didn't spend all my savings in Korea. I had savings because I wanted to buy I wanted to buy a house. Because we all get that programmed into us as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, Korea. Korea defines you. And own your own home. Thank you, Margaret Thatcher. So like I still had that um, brainwashing in place. So I had the deposit, but I didn't have the, um, what you call it, the payslips. So I just took any old job that I could get just to get payslips, right? So me and my, Nicola, um, you know, she's from Manchester. So at that time, you know, we had to live, we didn't have our own home. So she went to her mom's and I went to my mom's. It's kind of like, Going from living independently to going back to live with your mom and them trying to tell you how to live, you know, man, it's like regression. Right. You know, so not good, man. I was working in a high-risk company in administration, fucking taking orders from dimwits, you know, taking orders from the dimmest people, yeah, the most, like, grey people. Yeah. Like, no colour in their lives. Mm. They've never done anything. They've never left North London. You know, these are the but they've got into management because that's the company they've worked in since they've met. Two stuck at it, yeah. yeah. I, I bet that's even more pronounced when you come like from Korea teaching in like universities and stuff where, you know, yeah. look very diverse, and, you know. Yeah, you know. yeah. And, and, and not just that, but, oh man, yeah. I kind of outgrown it and I was doing it because, you know, the bank kind of dictates your life. Banks dictate our lives. You know, you've got people doing jobs that they hate because the bank dictates that they must do a certain, I don't have to do that job, but if they want to have their own house, you have to get, you have to have these payslips, right? So you may not get paid doing what you want, but right now you want this house, you need a place to live. You know, there's this job that you hate, but it will pay you so you can get what the bank requires mm. so that it will allow you to create the money that it's going to lend you by signing your name on the mortgage. It's all a joke, yeah? Yeah. It's all a fucking joke. Banks dictate our lives so badly. It's just, it's, um, it's like abhorrent. It's abhorrent. Mm. So yeah, like, you know, in my mind, went back to England uh, in 2013 and left again in August of 2016. Those three years were hell, man. Just hell. And you're just kind of just saving money for yeah, payslips. Saving and money, payslips. Do you keep training? Yeah, yeah. So I was training and actually like um, I was I was training for an MMA fight and uh, I was actually training really well and um, it was going really well actually. Um, <clears throat> and then I got this job and uh, 
initially they got me on night shifts like which is probably the better part of the experience of that job because there weren't many other colleagues around in the night so other than it was just very disruptive to my sleep patterns i didn't have to deal with too many idiots or dickheads right. yeah um but yeah so that just that just really disrupted the training camp and jarred it mm. and because i knew i wasn't going to fight professionally it was an amateur fight I was really fit and I was training well, but like when this job started, I just kind of, I wasn't showing up to 6 a.m. training anymore because I was finishing work at 6 a.m. Trying to get home and sleep. But I remember, I remember doing like a round, of, I remember doing like Tabata burpees at home one day, like, and like finished. And I just like fucking, I don't know, like I just like visceral screaming. You know, just exhausted, but just like screaming, but just out of frustration because I just knew that, like, oh, I just started this job and I'm not going to be able to complete this training camp as well as I could have done. And I was just really frustrated. And that was the last time I trained for an MMA fight or any kind of real life fight. I don't really yeah. class Jiu Jitsu as a fight. Mm. Um, <clears throat> was, this, uh, was this the three year period where you're working for the um, highways agency? Or was it just the highways? When were you working for the Saudi? Uh, oh, that was way before. Oh, that was, was, that okay. was before Korea. Okay. Yeah, so like I'd had, had all this international experience, like yeah. either in, either in, um, you know, reporting, filmmaking, and then working. Yeah, we should tell those stories uh, once we kind of finish off with. Sure. With, yeah. Sure. Um, but yeah, to then come back to England after all of this, right, and then be taking orders from these absolute. I mean, can you imagine a guy who works in a highways agency? What kind of outlook he has? Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'm not talking about like your regular guy, like your regular blue collar worker. I'm talking about your guy who was a blue collar worker, who then got promoted to management and got a power trip and just a dickhead because he's got no education, you know, like emotionally stunted because his parents, you know, they procreated without any plan, let alone license you know, and just fucking fed him and he existed and grew up and started bashing roads, you know. Um, this is not a kind of manager who's going to be nurturing workers. He's going to be abusing workers, you know, to, like, you know, bro, like, I think as a culture in general, as a society in general, Britain is quite a negative. Like, uh, like, if you were to compare the British people to the American people, both of them have annoyances about them. Okay. But if I was to say one glaring difference between Brits and Americans is that Brits are very negative. Americans are uber positive. Right. If you come to a British person and say, I'm going to do this, they'll say, no, they'll come up with a million reasons why you cannot do it. Not why you shouldn't do it, yeah. why you're not going to be able to do it. Mm. Largely because they couldn't fathom the idea of them doing it and therefore that makes them feel uncomfortable and they don't like the idea of you doing it because it makes them question themselves, right? Mm. And I know largely it's not necessarily just a British thing, but like if you go to an American and say, hey, I want to try this, they'd be like, yes, go for it. In general, I know these are generalizations. Yeah, yeah. We ain't going great, right? But, and sometimes like, you know, Americans can be like annoyingly over, um, <laughs> over positive, yeah. right? A bit too much, right? I'm overkill. But if I had to choose one or the other, I'm going to go with the positive, right? Because yeah. Bro, I've got enough negativity going around in myself. I don't need everyone else around me to be negative and put me down, you know? Yeah. So, like, yeah, you know, like, um, yeah, man, I was working as highways agents, was destroying what was left of my soul. And um, anyway, I got these payslips, but then we couldn't find the right house. It was taking ages to find the house and then get the house. Once we did find the house that we settled on, 
um, to get the, the whole process takes months, you know, and, you know, I didn't want to leave my job in the meantime, because if they checked, if the bank checked or if for whatever reason they found out that I was no longer working getting these payslips, you know, they might retract the mortgage offer. So I was carrying on working this job that I just detested, bro. I wanted to, I was literally, I was like having fantasies about getting up from my desk and walking over to the manager in the corner and stabbing him to death in front of everyone. And everybody would be on the table cheering me on because nobody liked this guy. He was right. such a top dickhead. Anyway, um, yeah. So what happened? You got you get the house eventually? I got the house oh, okay. and I quit my job. I did not work my notice. I said, fuck off. I was out. <laughs> and nobody questioned it. They just knew I was not doing they it. Knew. They knew. They yeah. knew, man. They knew, man. And, um, and, uh, and yeah, and then uh, I, I went to Manchester. I moved to Manchester. I moved to Manchester, was, which is um, a little bit of a culture shock because it's quite different in the north to mm. living in the south. I had I had cousins and like uncles and aunties who lived in Manchester, but I'd never lived there. I just visited them. Right. And I and I, I always was told that like you know like Northerners they don't like Southerners, you know. But I've never experienced it firsthand. Right. So you know like I've gone here and fuck uh, away. I don't want to sound like I'm like a victim, like how I'm like you know. But <laughs> like you know what it is. It just all comes down to taking things personally and just not having a, a, a thick skin. I think mm. like building up a thick skin. Yeah. Tell me that story of uh, when you got to SPG and then, uh, <laughs> uh, which is a jiu-jitsu, uh, a very high level, well, mixed martial arts. Isn't it amazing, uh, yeah, really? Yeah. Um, With a high level yeah, jiu-jitsu yeah. as well. Um, school in Manchester, very yeah, well yeah, renowned. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And you, you decided to go tra train there, right? Yeah, right, right. Um, so, yes, I was training there. That's a great gym. And I think of all the gyms that I've trained at, that's probably the gym where I really progressed the most. Or I would say maybe like my progression really started to take off there. Cause I feel like here in Bangkok, I've really um, progressed as well. Mm. And I think it's a mixture, honestly, a mixture of like the syllabus and the approach there. And, um, and also maybe the time in that I'd had, like things were just clicking in my mind more readily than they had maybe five years prior. Maybe right. it's a combination. So maybe if I had gone to another gym, when I had more time in, I would have learned, but I don't know. But all I can say is that that gym there is a great, fantastic gym. Um, yeah, I don't want to talk shit about the people <laughs> there, you know? But you had, a, uh, you had someone... I mean, I kind of uh, talked shit about George St. Pierre. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, but you had someone... No, not, I don't feel like I'm talking shit. I'm just being honest. Yeah, yeah. Just, just, these are just your experiences. This is just my, yeah. my, my truth, right? Yeah, yeah. So he'll have a different truth. He'll be like, hey, who's this fucking dickhead from England? He comes in and he blanks me. I'm the king. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't have any, he I still mean, remembers it to this day. Yeah, I don't think he remembers it at all. He's losing sleep about it. I don't think he remembers it at all. But like, you know, um, like with hindsight, I should have had thicker skin and just take the piss out of him back. I mean, this guy, have you heard him speak? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to engage in that. Anyway, um, yeah, so SPG, you know, just similar, similar things, man. I don't know. But you kind of uh, notice like the more the Northerners, uh, well, I imagine it's predominantly Northerners that are in there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And you notice, you kind of stood out more being a Southerner. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. It wasn't the warmest reception, I would say, um, by some of the people, obviously. Um, and I, I don't know if that's like 
just how they are to each other as well. Because mm-hmm. they, they can be quite harsh to each other as well. Yeah, I think that is a general northern thing we do kind of take the mick out of each other quite harsh. You do, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, I had had the mick taken out of me viciously, yeah. like growing up, like really bad, bro, like yeah. really bad, like by this one particular kid. And I became almost like a professional because I had to, because of this one kid, like we'd go back and forth all day, every day, and so we became like professional ridiculers. Like nobody really wanted to engage with us, like, <laughs> me or him in any kind of thing. Like, we would just destroy them. Yeah. I mean, he, this guy he used to make teachers cry, <laughs> but he has all sorts of like issues. Like he was just okay. a fucked up kid and I shouldn't have been around him, but, but I just didn't want to do that anymore. Like, so I just stopped taking the piss. Like when, yeah. I, was, when I left, when I left school, right? So uh, yeah, yeah. So they take the piss up north, man. <laughs> But, you know, when they're taking the mick out of where you're from and stuff like that, it's just always been something that's just, I've just never, I've never, I've never, it's just, it's always been something that kind of, I didn't think it was something valid. Like, I didn't think it was like a righteous reason to make fun of somebody. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I guess it, it's similar almost to the situation with uh, GSP where he was kind of like uh, coming from Greece to... Uh, London and live in a predominantly black black neighbourhood and then mm-hmm. and you've been in Korea and they've told you he's oh, tries no. speaking. Listen, the, the Koreans they didn't really bully me. Like okay. I told number no, there's no bullying whatsoever okay. in Korea. Yeah. Just I'm telling you like you know like they would say to me, Oh, can you speak in America? In, in the end, I ended up doing it, by right. the way, because they couldn't understand. Like I'm yeah, trying no, to teach like, yeah. and they just couldn't understand yeah, yeah. when I spoke with the British accent. They've been largely um Korea, South Korea has been rebuilt by America. Like, I mean, not by America, but, you know, they still have an American military presence there. Um, and since the war, since the Korean Civil War, and, you know, like the highways, the road signs are all American. Um, you know, uh, they, they have a strong link with America. So yeah, much stronger than Britain. So, right. yeah, yeah. You, you know, like they're more used to American yeah. tone of voice. Um, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so yeah. No, no, no. It's, 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 it's always been like in uh, Western countries where like, I've had mm. derisive like things said to me about like, you know, my voice or like, you know, I don't know, whatever my accent. Um, but, but so yeah, like or where I'm from, where from? Yeah. you know I'm saying? Like, so these guys, they were, they were, they were just much of the same. You know, they took the piss out of each other as well. Yeah. Because, you know, you've got a large Pakistani presence there in the North of England. And I mean, you get Polish people pretty much up and down the country. Um, but yeah, I don't really want to focus on that too much. Like, I had some incidences with a few people that we've ironed out now. Yeah. Um, but you found that uh, you did jitsu. You got, uh, was it, did you do mixed martial arts there I, or was it I mainly did just. Do, I did do some MMA there as well. Right. But I was kind of just like flirting with it, really. Yeah. Like, they've got a good MMA team there, you know. Mm. But your jitsu got a lot better, you think, in the time. For sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really good, really mm. a lot better, like especially like top top game. Right. And then what happened for you to leave Manchester? Uh so we were just we were just um we were just leaving the UK. We just we knew that we didn't want to stay in the UK. We came back for Nicola to retrain. Uh, for okay. me to find a new job, like to find a new profession or whatever, but to buy a house as well. And so we bought the house in Manchester. Mm-hmm. When I moved up to Manchester, Nicola was still like in her training contracts year two. And then um, so she was finishing that up. 
So, uh, you know, I just took a job in the estate agent time. I don't know, I'm a kind of person that I kind of always struggle with being told what to do. I think that's part of my character. Right. Um, especially when the, the figure of authority is unqualified to be telling me what to do. Mm. Not so much that, like, because that's really arrogant to say, I realise, but when, in my opinion, they're unqualified, but also talking badly to me, like talking down to me, like condescending. Yeah, yeah. Long story cut short, last job like that, that I had, like regular job. I mean, oh, actually, that's a lie. After the estate agent, I worked at Pizza Hut now, just delivering oh, really? pizzas because I didn't want any kind of like boss type thing. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, well, I quit this job in the estate agent. Bro, you know what? Looking back, like, now I'm expunging everything in my life here. <laughs> um, I have an issue with authority mm. as well. And did, you, so, did, did you enjoy the working for Pizza Hut? Like, well, not, I don't know, enjoy, enjoy was it? <laughs> no. I'd, Did I'll, you get any pizza or anything? Yeah, 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 <laughs> okay. yeah I got free pizza. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, but yeah, long story so, so Manchester, I was working in a state agent, um, and it was okay. It was all right. I met some interesting people. Uh, but ultimately, I quit. Sure, I just picked out the job one day. Because uh, I'd come back from this was around the time I decided to start w working on Amazon with, okay. a, with a guy I'd met in Korea, mm -hmm. who he had actually been a professional fighter and then suffered some bad injuries and then just oh, right. could, couldn't and, couldn't fight. And you met him through training. Yeah, I met him through training. To be honest, man, most of the great opportunities I've had in my life have come through like the various people I've met in different gyms. Oh really? That's cool. Isn't it? For me, like the gym is almost like church. Mm, yeah, no. I, I, so some people like listen to that might sound strange, but like if yeah. you're in training and it, and it makes complete sense, really. Yeah, it's like a, it's such a community. Yeah, right? like for me, like martial arts since early twenties, it's been a regular thing for me, and something that I was always focused on, like you know, wanting to be some kind of professional martial artist. Mm. And um, anyway, so uh, you know, so I'll just spend a lot of time in these gyms and meet different people. Yeah, and you know, we got along. Most for the most part, and you know, we would get to interesting discussions, and opportunities would just basically arise out of them. Um, especially in gyms abroad, because you meet such a different range of generally, like you know, well-traveled people with like um, I don't know how I would phrase it, because there's, there's like I, I, I don't know, man. Like, I don't want to say that like living in a in one country of your life is a negative thing. It's not. I'm not saying that. And I'm not trying to look down on it. I'm just saying like. Now living internationally, it's hard for me and I think probably for a lot of other people who have done the same to go back to just living in the original country. Yeah. Um, so, so like, especially in gyms internationally, you just meet these people who have had similar experiences, like they've lived in other different places and, and they can talk to you about them. And, and like, you know, the opportunities that can arise as a result of that are sometimes more interesting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, so yes. Yeah. Well, I think those kind of like fish out of water stories are always quite quite interesting, isn't it? Like when yeah. when you're in a new place and you've got to figure it out. Is is yeah, it, yeah. You know, it involves a lot of uh, you got to show a lot of character and problem solving, and, sure, and you end sure. up with cool stories and mm. things that you can tell. Mm. Mm. Um, so like, you, you were kind of done with England then. Yeah, for sure. And then what was uh, you say you started? Um, I had already selling been done. Yeah. yeah, so we started selling on Amazon. Me and this guy from mm. Korea, he American, American guy, and um, 
And uh, at that time, I took a short vacation to Greece. And uh, I remember, I remember, I was reading the Four Hour Work Week. I don't know if uh, you've yeah. heard of it. Yeah, Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was reading at the same time we were starting this Amazon thing. And um, <laughs> that was quite timely, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And um, actually, a guy from the estate agent he had lent me the book, <laughs> and uh, and I was like, I was saying to Nicola on the beach, you know, I've got some savings. I might just like, I might just quit. You know, I'm just not interested. Mm. I, was like, I didn't want to go back to it, man. I was like. I want to go back to that nine to five, like in the office, like looking at these little board, like annoying systems on computers. And um, uh, I went back begrudgingly and I went back to work. Yeah. And because um, she was like, oh, no, 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 that's risky. You know, and I kind of listened to her. I was like, okay, I'll try and stick it out. But the first day back, I got in the office and um, the manager came in a bit later, like 10 minutes later. But he was in a mood and I was kind of fed up. Like I wanted to quit and I was just starting my system up looking at I was like, oh, this shit, emails. You know, a lot of passive aggression from like other colleagues who hadn't been on vacation. And then he comes in and he's like, he's like talking to me a bit like badly. And this is a guy who's younger than me. He ain't lived nowhere else. He ain't done anything but estate agents, work and just, he used to talk badly about everybody. He just had, contempt for most people um and you know he just spoke to me a certain way and i didn't say anything did it again and i was like i'm sensing there's an issue here he didn't like that and i said i just don't understand why you're, you're like talking to me like this because i haven't been here for two weeks so whatever's and, and when i left everything was all good like i met the targets in fact we had exceeded the targets for the month and we had things in the pipeline so whatever's gone wrong between me leaving and me coming back has nothing to do with me. So whatever you're taking out on me, you can't be anything related to myself, mm. right? And he just said to me, I don't I don't need to justify the way I talk to you. Oh, I wanted to jump across the table and just, I mean, I, don't, I shouldn't say certain things. I shouldn't say certain things, but I wanted to act violently towards him. <laughs> I have strong words for this man. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, like he like he's just like if i attacked him like he would have no chance whatsoever he would just be a victim you know like but he thinks because he's a manager like you can just talk to whoever you want however you want no anyway he just said to me you know um i don't need to justify the way i speak to you i just i was like oh yeah okay cool picked up my car keys on my phone see ya <laughs> and then uh and then like he was like uh, yeah i'll see you later yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. You're singing later, and they just never saw me again. <laughs> and then, that was it. Um, yeah, so. Uh, so that was it for. That was it, yeah. And then. And then, and then that day, I went to the gym and I was like, oh, I spoke to Matt, and I was like, oh, um, can I train in the protein? Uh, I've got time in the morning. And like, he's like, are you working? I was like, no, I just quit. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, all right, cool. How long was it before you told uh, your wife? Oh, she knew the same day. Oh, she knew, okay. She wasn't really happy. <laughs> right. Had she finished the course by this point? Or did you have to wait a while before you could she leave? She was or? doing uh, NQT, yeah. What's she was a newly qualified teacher. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, so she was in the middle of that year. Okay. And, um, yeah, so... And, and, did, and did you have an idea for the next step? Was it Thailand after that, or was it more? Um, well, we were like, we wanted to go back to Asia, but we weren't sure exactly where. Um, so it was going to be out of Hong Kong, Japan, uh, Thailand, 
Singapore. It was just down to wherever she got a good job. Okay, yeah. For me, it wouldn't make a difference as long as I had the internet. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she got a good offer here in Bangkok, and it was one of the lists of countries that we had agreed on as a potential. So right. we came here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And how long ago was that? Uh, we came in uh, 2016. Okay, so you lived here for quite a while now. Two years now. Yeah, 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 yeah. just under two years. And you trained the whole time. Yeah, most of the time. Yeah. What? What? I mean, I would like to talk a bit about just. Uh, jiu-jitsu less uh, preferably more about actual jiu-jitsu yeah what, what kind of stuff um, like everyone like developed a game right uh, yeah and that kind of thing what what do you like to focus on what do you like to work um I would say like for the last year or so I spend a lot of time in the half guard mm. on the bottom like trying to sweep or uh, recover guard and go to some kind of um, controlling position uh, yeah I spend a lot of time yeah so butterfly and half guard with a butterfly, X guard, mm. single leg X. What kind of stuff is it you, you usually gravitate towards? And kind of well, you know, um, I think when I arrived here, I was playing a lot of X guard, getting sweeps and coming to the top, and then just like maintaining top side control, trying to get to the mount and finish. Yeah. Um, I I uh, I like arm drags. I'm dragging. Oh yeah, I know that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm dragging me a lot. <laughs> oh really? Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, I like arm drags and. Um, uh, How many times have you competed in jiu-jitsu now? Um, I don't know. Not that much, you know. Really. Uh, you got a great story about competing one time and that yeah. About, have I? Yeah, about like how that guy uh, spoke to you. Uh, oh, that yeah. was the best competition ever. <laughs> that <laughs> was in Manchester. R- yeah. Run me through that stuff. Bro, that was fucking glory. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. But that that day, he picked the wrong day because that day I was just in the right mindset to win. Because mm. like for a while up until that point, I had never even won a, 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 a match. Like let alone the tournament. I never won a match in jiu-jitsu. I never won anything at white belt. But I, I really sucked at jiu-jitsu. I was just awful. Um, and then like, I started to get better technically and in the gym I'll be winning. But on match day, on like, on like competition day, it's just like some kind of psychological barrier and I was, wasn't getting through it. And um, so this day, I think, you know what? I was pissed. I was pissed at everything. I was like, but I was back in training, like full time, like I had quit that job. So I was just training twice a day and I was strong and I was fit and I was fluid and training with, like I said, those guys in SB Joe, really, really, really good. And um, yeah, I went to the, went to, where was it? I can't remember where it was. It was somewhere in Manchester though. And uh, we did the Nogi first, the guy who I fought first, this is the guy that I was, I think, telling you about. I thought Nogi, he didn't really want to engage and I was being overly aggressive, trying to get a takedown. We just stood up for five minutes, but I couldn't get a takedown because he wouldn't come right. back forward at me. Yeah. And, and eventually I came so forward at him that he just kind of countered me and just got a simple um, simple uh, foot sweep. Right. Got me on the floor, I got straight back up, but the ref gave him the takedown. Mm. I then got a takedown on him, but as, the, as we landed, we landed just on the edge of the mat and I didn't get the points. So he won two zero. He went on to lose his very next match to some guy who I would have beaten as well. Um, but anyway, uh, I think I got the bronze in the no-gi, but then the gi was in the afternoon. And, uh, and I was so pissed to lose to this guy because also this guy was like talking to me, like he would come up to me and talk to me. And I was with, who is now my wife, Nikolai, and like she was, she just doesn't like it. 
Like she never liked it when I boxed. She definitely didn't like it when I went to Montreal. Mm. And like, um, and she doesn't she doesn't really understand jujitsu. So she just understands that I can get choked unconscious and break a limb. Right. She's like, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> so, so, um, so she was kind of like she was at a tournament to support, but she's a bit like out of her. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just trying to spend time with her in between and just like try and keep her like. You know, relax, that's pos, you mm. know. So, um, yeah, but he's coming while I'm with her and talking to us. And, and this is in between the Nogi yeah, and the Yeah, this is in between the Nogi and the Nogi, right? And then, and then, like, one of our last comments, and he was a bit of a, just a bit of a dick. And um, just asking too many, like, personal questions, and I don't even know you, like, why are you doing this? It's coming yeah. out of your insecurity. Yeah. But... I didn't. I don't know why, man. I just didn't tell him to get lost. I should have probably just told him to get lost. But you can't really talk to people like that. It's not right, right? So anyway, uh, you know, the last thing he said to me was, "Oh yeah, I'm glad that I spoke to you." So I, I always like to talk to my opponents beforehand. It makes me feel better. And then he walked away. And I looked at Nick. I was like, "This guy is such a dickhead." So anyway, we're having these other matches, and I was in the Masters tournament, and it was at Blue Belt, and um, there were other guys there, but. Like, you know, like they were older than me, like late 30s, mid 40s, maybe. And I was just getting everybody. I was getting everybody. I was getting a takedown. I was getting the underhook and just getting the sacrifice. With, like, you yeah. know, you get the underhook, head on their shoulder, put your foot behind their feet and just like fall over sideways, yeah, yeah. get to the side. I was getting the, um, I was basically getting to mount from the side. And then I was finishing them with uh, mount triangles. And I, f I finished three guys, I finished two guys. And I was about to finish the third one when the time finished, but I just destroyed him on points. Yeah. So I ended up in the final with the same guy. <laughs> and um, and then uh, as we went to meet in the middle before, you know, when the referee tells you, like, shake hands over, he goes, yeah, now I'm going to beat you again. <laughs> as we're slapping hands, he's like, yeah, I'm gonna, now I'm going to beat you again. This guy. <laughs> and he just like had like a kind of like, he was just kind of like a physical guy. An older guy, I don't know if he's done martial arts for a long time, Didn't didn't really... Like, I mean, I felt like I'd been doing some kind of martial art probably for a lot longer than he had, you know. And um, anyway, um, I just was so disrespectful. Like, I just couldn't, I was furious with this guy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, like, so then when the match started, yeah, he was really aggressive, though. He was this oh, he time, changed. he was, yeah, he changed, yeah. And then, and then he was winning the match. Like, I think he even got the takedown and then got the pass. Like, I think he was like 5-0 up on me or something like that for the most of the match. And I managed to eventually regain the full guard at the edge of the mats. And then um, they reset us to the middle of the mat with me, with him in my full close guard. And there were like 45 seconds left in the match. I just remember hearing Nicholas saying, come on, Alexis. <laughs> and I just, I was exhausted as well because he'd exhausted me because I was yeah. emotional, right? And, and we were being very physical. And, and Especially like your last match, match of the yeah, tournament. Yeah, last like, match. Yeah. I was like, I can't lose to this guy. And then, um, and then <laughs> I got my knee inside. I think I took the overhook on one of his arms. I got my knee inside the other arm and I jumped to the triangle. No, oh. in fact, do you know what? I was desperate. And I think I just, I had both of his um, sleeves and I just, took my foot out and put it on his elbow, on his bicep and yeah. just jumped into the triangle. Right. Got him in the triangle, but he wasn't tapping. And the time was just ticking down. Oh. And I just switched it to belly down armbar, but with the triangle guard, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I went belly down and um, I, just, I was gonna break it. 
He tapped. I made that fucker tap. He fucking tapped. Bastard. And then, and then he just collapsed on the floor in it. Champion. And then, uh, and then, yeah, it was man. It was like a, that was a huge breakthrough for me mentally because, mm. like, for me, he was a bully. Yeah. You know yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd kind of had these kind of characters in my life my whole life, you know. And I was, yeah. yeah, I fucking got one of them badly <laughs> as well, badly, you know. And I got it on camera, and then uh, yeah, and I got that was my first goal from like a tap, like yeah, yeah. subbed people all the way to the finals. And I was happy, happy with that. Excellent. Yeah. Um, what what's your kind of goals in jiu-jitsu now? Is it just to kind um, of keep training until you can yeah. get your black belt and keep yeah. going from there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just probably, I, I would just like to grapple as long as I can. Yeah. Until I'm old. Mm. Um, um, they used to make fun of like, one of the things that they've got at that SVG is they, they would, not, I don't know if they'd still do it now, but <clears throat> they would call like blue belts. They would call them faceless. Nameless, the nameless. nameless. Of course, faceless and nameless, right? And just disregard. <laughs> right. Yeah? And it was a case of like, I had been a blue belt for quite a while when I got there. I had no stripes, but I'd been a blue belt for a while and I wasn't totally crap. And then, and then, um, but, you know, some guys had just been training a year and got a blue belt and they were garbage, but I'm putting the same boat as them. Right. And I kind of just objected to that. <laughs> So like for a while, for the longest time, I just wanted to get my purple belt because mm. I didn't want to be part of that nameless group. <laughs> <laughs> Some motivation. <laughs> that's it really, like, when I say it out loud, right? But I don't know, man. Like, you know, that just boils down to, like, I think part of my problem my whole life was just caring too much about what other people thought about me. Mm. Where now, like, I don't give a shit what yeah. people think about me because I don't need them. So I, I don't yeah. need anybody's approval, you know? Yeah. And, um, but it took me my whole life to realize that. And uh, I think that's, that's, you know, I don't know why, man. I think a big part of it is just growing up without a dad and being a single kid, being a single, only child, I mean, sorry. Right. So yeah, you just you just kind of learn a bit later, I guess. So I'm just small, you gotta go through stuff to kind of have the experience. Yeah, yeah, you have all these different compromised male role models. Mm. Because none of them are your dad, right? But right. You're, kind of, you're kind of looking for a dad as a younger person. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, like, as you get older, and if your brain's awake, if your mind is alert and awake, you start to see their flaws and their uh, shortfalls. And, you know, you're placing a lot of. I get. I think one of my problems as well is just that uh, I expect a lot from other people mm. in terms of like, if I'm your friend. I expect you to like stand next to me if we're in altercation with a stranger and fight with me. I don't expect you to yeah. run away. And yeah. If you run away, like we're not friends anymore. You like, know what I mean? Yeah, like that time when uh, yeah, like London. one time I got mugged yeah, and yeah. my friends has left me. Yeah, yeah. And but that's happened more than one time. Not just a mugging, but just a physical altercation. Mm. And and you know, like guys are just they just look after themselves. But for me, like I've taken punches for guys, like because like they're my friends, isn't it? Yeah, like, I've got to protect my friends, isn't it? So is that quite? A, is I think, that, that's, I think yeah. that's common for only children. Like mm. you don't have siblings and don't have a dad. Mm. Boys, I mean, and boys like you know you're seeking belonging, right? Yeah, yeah. So when you're going to these new places and people are rejecting you based on like how you sound or what you look like, for example, you know, like that's deeply damaging, like deeply scarring for you. So I, I think that's part of the reason why I had all these experiences where 
you know, like people have said something and I'm like, I take it real personal. It goes deep inside and yeah. I think about it for a long time after. It sounds like loyalty is quite important to you and that's something yeah, like that. Yeah, for sure, yeah, for sure. What are the kind of things like values, maybe the ones that I do in Jiu-Jitsu and other martial arts? Mm-hmm. Are you quite, quite, I don't know, mean mean a lot to you? Um, um, for instance, like, um, for me, like a big one for me, like, I think it's developed a lot through martial arts is like integrity and discipline. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think Colin, I asked Colin the same, uh, Colin Slider, uh, the same question. And I think discipline was a big one for him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But there's loads of stuff you, you. Did you have a podcast with him? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Did you talk about? The booze. Oh yeah. No. Oh, he didn't. <laughs> no. Oh, okay, I'm not going to talk about it. Oh, wait, he he mentioned how he got up to a, a hefty weight. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know. So. Yeah. Uh, and then he took on jujitsu, right? And then yeah. he started jujitsu. Yeah, yeah. So I think for him, like the discipline factor makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think discipline and um, just like, like respect, respect for the other respect person. for the people. Yeah. Which um, it's very it's it's very easy to talk about, but hard to practice. Mm. Especially like even now, like, I'm not gonna lie, like ego gets involved, right? Oh yeah, you know, um, and and yeah, and I think the belt system, like I said, you know, I think the belt system kind of feeds into that almost because it's hierarchical. Yeah. Hierarchical, sorry. And, yeah. um, you know, it's kind of hard to remove ego sometimes from it because you've got this thing around your waist that kind of indicates where you are kind of thing. It was supposed to be in the pecking order. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to lose the low belt. Right. The low belt wants to be the high belt. Yeah. You know, um, um, and, you know, like another guy comes from another gym. He's oh, wearing a, a big high one, belt. Yeah, yeah. Or whatever, you or know. Or a similar belt or from a another, similar yeah, belt. Yeah, you know. Like you don't want to lose yeah. to him. Yeah, you both, you know, you know, just got your purple belt, he's a four stripe blue belt, you both just got yeah. you know, purple belt. Yeah, yeah. Something yeah. like that. And yeah, right. yeah. I yeah. see. I guess I guess that's why what makes it uh, in a way also helps you deal with your ego though. Like yeah. because it's going through those things that um those are like the, the tests, aren't they? And then yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you kinda of learn from that. Whereas most other people that don't do martial arts then would never really experience anything like that. No. And when ego comes into play in more like day-to-day life and that kind of thing, they might not have as much. Like a real estate manager talking shit. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got no idea what can happen to them. <laughs> yeah. Like they would be helpless, <laughs> you know? Um, no, but so like to answer your question about that respect thing. Yeah, that's uh, something that, I don't know, man. Like nobody likes to lose, right? And. Uh, you know, it's hard to prevent your ego from becoming engaged in certain situations. Like, I try and put myself in losing scenarios these days, mm. just to um, just to try and smash that as well, smash that ego thing. Right. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. That you can actually train it as well, but like, yeah, but I can't always though. That's the thing about mm. it. You know, like it's almost like um, I can sometimes, but it just depends what from mind I'm in overall. Right. So what I mean, what I'm trying to get at is that like that discipline and like like you said like to smash your own ego and stuff i don't know man i think it's just something that's going to take your whole life maybe like i don't know maybe for me i don't know that's like, oh, yeah. a really master i think it's one of those things it, it like jiu-jitsu in a sense like you can never really perfect it 
you probably can never really perfect those things you can just yeah. strive to be a bit bit better at it you know? yeah or maybe exist in that mindset for longer durations yeah. of time as you get more practice that yeah know. yeah but um, well Alexis we'll, we'll kind of start trying to wrap this up but yeah, sure. could you share with us the story of how um, you ended up making a film uh, or a short film uh, one time um, did I not tell you about that you did but I wanted to have it on the on the podcast oh I didn't tell you on the podcast no, no, no you, oh, that okay. was um, me and it was, on oh, it was me and you and Rich right yeah, went yeah. For pizza. yeah right um, so this is before Korea this is like back in 2006, 2007, maybe. I think it might have been 2007. And um, yeah, it was, uh, I was, I was doing like the reporting and stuff and it was through a girl at the gym, at the Wing Chun gym I was at at that time in those days, uh, who she had introduced me to the high, I can't remember. Inadvertently through her, I got into the reporting because I met her boyfriend at the time who's a cameraman. He introduced me to this um, guy from Eritrea who was producing newsfeed for Saudi Channel 2. And uh, anyway, uh, it was through the same girl. We, we, uh, we went on to this, um, it was like a government funded, local council funded like film um, school. And um, they got this lady, her name was Victoria Jelinek. And she had been a producer on the, um, uh shit man famous film of al pacino in it um the one where he's like um working law and keanu reeves is in it as well okay do you yeah. know what i'm talking about i'm not sure shit man it's basically about the devil okay it's a famous movie mm. it, the podcast seems to ring about with those two guys you can imdb or something if you want yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um anyway she'd been a producer on this famous movie and you know she was basically hosting these seminars and at the end of the seminar course you know there was a budget for a film. Um, I think they had three budgets of 4,000. Okay. And you had to compete to get one of them. Um, uh, and um, essentially, you had to pitch a script for a short film. And um, and uh, and I won it. I made a pitch for a story that I thought could win it, could win the fund. And, and I did win the pitch. I got yeah. the money. Um, but it was a story that I didn't really want to tell or have a point of reference to tell either. Mm. Um, so I kind of like mixed like imagination with like really bad cliche and made this movie, which was a great learning experience. Like what Richard was saying, but his one was a lot longer because obviously he'd been in the industry for a lot longer and he ended up making a feature, right? I think yeah. he was saying something like he spent three years on the feature, which is probably, I mean, he had a team as well, but so it took me a year to make this short film, which he probably shouldn't have done. <laughs> um, and it was just garbage, man. And I, and I knew it was rubbish. And, um, um, and, uh, the Devil's Advocate, that's that movie. Okay. The Advocate. Yeah. This lady, she'd worked on The Devil's Advocate. Anyway. Um, yeah, and, and you know, part of the, 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 um, the, the rules, the regulations of the funding were that you had, to, you had to air the movie at the Institute of Contemporary Art in London. And uh, that was like a, it's like a big place for like young creative types. Mm you get something screened there but I had no business having that movie there it was garbage like and, and I said that to them and I said listen I've never made a movie before like this movie is no good like 
like it's not something that we should air there and they're like no if you don't air it it's part of your contract if you don't air it you have to get the money back and at that point i had i didn't have four thousand pounds yeah you spent back. it to make the yeah thing. i'd spent more i'd like oh, really? spend out my own pocket to finish it damn. yeah and uh, so we aired it and then <laughs> i remember going i remember traveling towards i remember going to the institute on the, on the underground with a friend of mine because I said I just bro like we need to go together because after he's going to smoke some weed somewhere you know and, and I said to him bro like, I was on the underground I was like man it's so shit yeah I'm sorry for what you're going to see thanks for coming for me coming with me at the end of this screening I, I actually I did get a laugh in the middle of the movie I did get a laugh from everybody in the film there was a funny yeah. bit but um, but overall it was a bit poor and this guy on crutches, he, he he hobbled over to me after the movie was done and he goes, um, I'm just going to be honest with you. I was like, yeah, please do, because up until this point, nobody else has been. And he was like, yeah, that movie was total shit. <laughs> and he said it with that emphasis, you know? <laughs> and I was like, and I just, I had nothing to say to him apart from thank you. So I just shook his hand. I was like, thanks for being honest, you know? And then, uh, and then, yeah. <laughs> Oh, it was like a cringe moment. It was like, bro, that 15 minutes in that theater watching it, I was like, I actually had my head in my hands, like just peeking, peeking around. Like, Mm. um, yeah, (laughs) I I probably shouldn't have quit, but I did quit. Mm. I I didn't make another movie after that. Yeah. Fun experience though. It ended up being a good story at least. Yeah, it's yeah, a story. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a story I can tell, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think in general, like that's a theme in my life. Just I've quit too many times in adversity, you know, coming, mm. coming, meeting adversity and just quitting. You know, like for example, MMA, um, movies, um, um, you know, various different jobs. Yeah. You know, I think that's one thing that martial arts, especially competition, teaches you. That's one big thing you. If you keep at it, you, um, you you become more resilient to adversity over right. time. Yeah, at least for me. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. That's that's. I think that's one of the the biggest takeaways that I can have from martial arts as a whole is just like uh, building up resilience to adversity. Mm. Yeah, that's good, man. Yeah. Well, thank a, you very yeah. much for uh, coming. Like, if, if, it, if there was if there yeah. was a parting thing that yeah. I would say to be positive to people, anybody going through something difficult, I, I would. I would really encourage taking up a martial art, whatever it may be, just be, especially one where you're gonna have to test it, you know, yeah. in a, in a live situation, not like um, you know, just like, like not really sparring live, like or competing. Jiu-Jitsu is probably one of the safest ones, or wrestling maybe, because there's no striking. I mean, you can still get brain trauma, right? But chances are fairly less likely than a striking based. Are, you know yeah especially if you stand sensible with it and, yeah and yeah no limits and yeah right and just like you're not gonna some people are just naturally gifted and just they just get good at it really quickly but for most people it takes a while to get good at something and yeah. like that especially martial arts and you know if you, if you can build your like um resilience resilience something that i think that we all i think we're kind of a soft society and I, like not society like globally i think because we're so globalized now like mm. and we've got all the social media you know like especially in terms of like men you know like 
we're not allowed to be violent and not that necessarily being violent is a good thing, but that is kind of being bred out. Being physical in general is kind of being bred out of humanity at this point, right? We're becoming weaker progressively as a whole, right? Because most of us are working sedentary jobs and lifestyles and, oh, this is going to be really controversial, but, you know, again, I was watching Jordan Peterson and he articulated it really well. He was talking about, you know, like, he was talking about essentially like masculine and feminine expressions of aggression. And he was talking about like ma traditional mass, traditionally, Aggression would be would be expressed by men through the use of through the use use of physicality. Whereas women, because they don't have that physicality, they would express aggression through um, reputation. Um, what's the word where you tarnish somebody's reputation? Um, belittling and like, oh, yeah. emotional, like you know, like just being like verbal, verbal. And I think as like like physical aspects of like lifestyles are being bred out of us. Um, you know, men are becoming kind of like the kind of aggression they are able to express is more like just on the verbal side and it's kind of right. making everybody's spine a bit soft. You mm. know? So I think that's why martial arts are vital for us still because, you, you know, within a controlled environment, you, you are forced to face your physical limitations against another man. Yeah. Right? And it also gets all that kind of like any aggression you have kind of, kind of I, I don't feel very yeah. aggressive after leaving a so, it's like, a great oh. outlet for it yeah because right? yeah. yeah like for sure like you know I think if I didn't have like martial arts in my life um, either it would have been a suicide or it would have been a murder suicide right I, I could have been one of those yeah. like, you know what I mean like but it, just, it means like you've got you've got nothing to prove like when you know and you're in a bar and someone knocks into you and then goes what Something like that, you're like, yeah, like, oh, this idiot. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, I, I try not to even go into those environments anymore. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, example, agreed, yeah. agreed. As an example, it's a yeah. good example. But yeah, the best thing is to just not put yourself in those environments. Yeah, I think martial artists, as again, broad brush, you like some of the most least likely people to end up getting into um, fights like that. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know about oh, I don't know about boxers and MMA fighters. <laughs> okay, yeah, some of them not, some yeah. of them yes. Yeah, yeah. Depends on your type. Yeah. Depends on your um, character type, right? And mental state, I guess. Mm, yeah, yeah. I kind of, I, I think I agree with you as well with like just like society in general getting softer. I'll tell the story real quick because mm, yeah. I've, I've, I've told it before. But as I don't know hardly anything about you, but I've like sponged my life story. <laughs> I don't know where this is going. Who's going to hear it? Yeah. I'll end up in Manchester, get going to the gym, and they give me a beating silence. <laughs> not tell me. I won't know why. I'll uh, I'll send you it for your approval before we. Oh, hear I love really you. Listen. Listen to it. <laughs> I don't really like to listen to myself. <laughs> yeah, go on. Well, you just have to trust me. I'll I'll get rid of anything. Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, this story. So, uh, I was interviewing my grandma who uh, was born in like the nineteen forties, mm -hmm. and uh, she was telling me her, her dad. Uh, she was born in Ireland. Her dad, her dad was Irish, mm -hmm. and um, she was telling me her dad, who was born in like nineteen oh three or something like that, would tell her stories of when uh, the Irish were going over to America. Mm -hmm. Back then, it was like a three week uh, journey by boat. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they didn't have like. Showers. <laughs> you know, it was a tough journey. Yeah. And you probably weren't going to see uh, your family again if they, if they you know, decided they wanted to go over. Mm -hmm. You know, just some guy saying like, oh, there's this place called America. Right, right. <laughs> We've heard of for a, for a while. And um, there's a chance to make some money over there and not doing very well here in Ireland. Yeah. So when they made that decision to leave, they'd actually hold a wake for them, you know, like an Irish funeral. Really? Because, 
you know, see him again. yeah, you might maybe once or twice, maybe, maybe get a left for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can send them with like, send your kid off with like as much as you can give them and fuck, that's just, that's just them. And there's no, there's no communications or safety nets or help, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like, and I was just thinking like those Man. people compared to that, to like young people these days, mm-hmm. like to make that kind of journey. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know if I, I mean, I, I couldn't do it. I don't, I don't know. Like, What do you mean you couldn't do it? Like just to get on a boat and be like, I don't know what's out there. Mm-hmm. I know there's going to be a, a tough sea voyage yeah. to get there. I don't know what I'm going to do in there, but mm. life here is so, mm. so shit. shit. Yeah. I think it has to get to that point for you to take that kind of leap right. into the unknown, right? Like I think for a lot of people, they don't act until they have to, like, until there's no mm. option. In a lot of cases yeah which is something that every day i try to remind myself in every aspect of my life like you know don't do that anymore like mm. you know don't leave it to the last minute don't yeah. leave it until there's no other option because sometimes it works out because you know when you've got limited options it's easy to just choose right yeah that's yeah. the problem right when you still got multiple options it's kind of sometimes you can be caught in limbo because you're like oh it's unknown and he is not so bad it's tolerable like i said to you you know like the week i was leaving korea some kid in the park offered to take my life away from me and you know like everything was really negative no car no job no girlfriend you know no money and i was like korea was very much still unknown and i was almost like i'm not gonna leave here because i know this i know this version of reality you know i can yeah i cannot like going to what you're saying about like your grandparents um, or great-grandparents, right? No, yeah. was it your great-grandparents left in 1903? Um, 1903, it was when my great-grandmother would have been born. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. Like the world was black and white there. Yeah. They had no technology, no access to it. Maybe they had the telephone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like it's just, it might as well have just been an imaginary place that they were heading towards. Like that's like a lot of, that's bravery, isn't it? Yeah. Serious bravery, right? I mean, today as well, it's very poignant um, what you were saying just then of like, yeah, you've got to take those kind of chances and, and go to the, you know, like when you've got nothing else to um, go to like, it was actually a year ago today that my brother um, passed away. Yeah. And he was oh. a year older than me. Wow. So today I'm the exact same age he was. Oh. And like- Today? Yeah. Actually today? Today, today yeah. Oh, is your birthday today? No, as in oh, like no, no, he was twenty. Is. He was a year older than me. Okay. So like, yeah. Um, so today I'm the exact same age he was sure. when he died. Sure. And he had like he was about to go to. Are you twenty? I'm twenty four. Are you twenty four? I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um. So he was about to go to. Uh, you know, he was kind of like similar case of you. Like being through like different jobs, tried to go to uni once, then didn't work out, and then he was he's about to. Get, he was doing really well. He, he finally got into, he'd always been into like Japanese culture mm-hmm. and he was learning Japanese and he'd always been into chefing. Uh-huh. And uh, he was studying that at uni in York and he was doing, you know, really well. Mm-hmm. And he was about to go do a year in Japan uh-huh. to kind of uh, like learn out there more Japanese yeah, and, yeah. and do more chefing. Uh-huh. But then he passed away, you know, Shit. today last year. So he never got to go because he was going in September and it's like, for me, it's that's like really poignant. It's like, you got to take those kind of chances, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. And you know, like um, a case in point of like, you know, like when I left for Korea, I really didn't have anything going for me. Like, I'd pretty much hit rock bottom. And, um, and you know, like we were talking about like, you know, not, not leaving things until, you know, you I'm only have the other option. Yeah, yeah. You've got nothing here. Like, 
leaving Korea to go to Canada was a different story. I had a good life. Yeah. Good, good money, good, like, so socially. I had friends, I had a girlfriend, and, you know, um, everything was a bit too easy. Mm. And I was like, mm, I'm kind of coasting here. And you can see older people who had just been teaching English, like, for 20 years. And I was I don't want to end up being them. Yeah. And I was like, hmm, one of the hardest things you could probably do is leave that kind of comfort and go and try and be an MMA fighter, right? Right, yeah. Because that's anything but easy. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and ultimately I failed, you know, but at least I tried. Like I went there and I, and I tried. Yeah. And I don't have any regrets because like, you know what I'm saying? Like if I, if I never left, I could have been thinking, oh, what if I had, what if I had yeah, gone, yeah. you know, but. Well, it's like in Jiu-Jitsu, they say you either win or you learn, right? And, yeah, right. And that's just, that now like you go into Montreal, that's just a part of your story now. Yeah. And it's, it's a cool part, right? It's yeah. not like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I mean, if you had, you know, had it all worked out and you, and you ended up pro fighting and stuff, you never know what, what, what could have happened. Never know, yeah. Maybe, yeah. you know, you get to, uh, how old, you're 35 now, right? 35. We probably wouldn't be looking at much more years of fighting, right? No, you know? no. I mean, put it to one of the things that kind of like, okay, I got injured, but there was a guy there, um, uh, he, he had actually fought GSP, but they're at the same gym. Um, he, Ivan Menjivar, do you know him? No. Oh no, Ivan Menjivar, uh, UFC veteran. I'm not sure if he fought in Pride, but He'd been fighting MMA for a long time. Really nice guy, actually. Actually, you know what? He was one of the first people I met. I think I met him on the first day. And on that day, I didn't know who he was. But I looked him up when I went home because I got talking to him mm. and then I saw him. But but he, you know, like he's a UFC veteran and fought George St. Pierre. Uh, okay, lost to him, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Bro, he works security at the airport in Montreal. Right. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of people that leave fighting with just absolutely nothing. Yeah. They're lucky to have their brain intact as well. Oh, so, definitely. Um, yeah, who, know, who knows, man? But like you said, like, you know, like about your brother. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just about like, you know, like tomorrow is really not promised. And um, you, you can do anything you want to do. I'm not here to be a motivational speaker, but <laughs> I guess just like if you want to do something within reason and it's not harming other people like you should make a plan and execute on it because you, you know staying where it's safe and comfortable it's not going to it's not going to um promote growth as a person yeah. in yourself do you know what i'm saying as yeah, a person, yeah like challenging yourself like even now like you know the fear of the unknown is still there, right? I will just force myself to go because I've done it before and I didn't die. I mm. might die this time, but ch chances are probably I won't. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, I might just fail, but failure doesn't mean death. Mm. And, I and I think, you know, that's another thing. And I'm not sure if it's just British culture, but certainly in British culture, we have that, you know, like if somebody fails, we have the mentality of like, that's it, they're just not good at that. Right. You know, and they shouldn't keep trying, but yeah. how can you ever get good at something if you're not failing? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's that, that's that limited um, growth mindset. Yeah. You know, like people telling you like at school, oh, you're good at maths. Just like, that's it, you're either good or you're not. 
come on. That's now limited, we, isn't it? now yeah. we know that the brain is like rubber or plastic or whatever and it can yeah. it can reshape like and make different neural pathways and you can become pretty much good at whatever you practice so um like i said like i've done so many different jobs and i became proficient to greater or lesser degrees just because i spent time doing it every day i think basically like ultimately like you're going to get good at whatever you do consistently just consistency is the key thing it's not talent uh, yeah, it's talent consistency beats talent right? yeah 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 so i'm trying to hopefully it'll uh it's kind of like this with the podcast like i'm just trying mm-hmm. to be as consistent as I can, yeah, yeah. even though these last few weeks I've not actually managed to put anything out because my uh, my laptop's died. So, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but well, you've got the content now. I've kept recording. Yeah, so that's it. Yeah, yeah, man. Cool. Yeah, well, thank yeah. you very much for your time, Alexis. Yeah, um, thanks. thanks for sharing all your know, stories. Thank you. You're a very good, very good uh, storyteller, so I'm jealous to be. Appreciate, real good at. Appreciate so, that. Yeah. Cool. Cheers. All right. Nice one. Thanks for having me. Cheers, man.